0: We're going to turn to Revelation chapter 3, I believe it is. Yep, Revelation chapter 3, and we're going to read verse 14 through verse 22. This will be the last church that we'll study, and then we're going to... uh, If you'll notice, what's the first two words of chapter 4? That's right. And if you remember our outline, uh, he told John to write the things that, that he saw, write the things that are and write the things that are soon to take place after this. And so in chapter 4, we believe that this is the third section of Revelation as we outline it. And so we're going to get into the what we would call, I guess you could say, it's all good, but the good stuff of Revelation um, starting next Wednesday night. All right. In Revelation chapter 3, beginning in verse 14... It says, And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. I would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Now I'm just curious tonight before we continue that, just without any context whatsoever, how would you interpret that? Give me a summary, just a quick summary. What's Jesus saying? If you were to interpret tonight without context, um, what would you think is being said right here? What did He just say to them? Huh? Alright. You're pretty disgusting. And what is it about them that, makes him, that that makes Him disgusted? What would you say here? Okay, now that's what you would think, right? I'm going to show you tonight just how... We say this so much, but I'm going to show you tonight how important context is for you to understand exactly what's being said here. Alright? So let's keep reading in verse 17. Here's why they are lukewarm. Here's why he wants to vomit them out of his mouth. That's how you could literally interpret this, okay? Verse 17. Here's why. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need what? So it's not just that this is a group of people that they're just not on fire enough for God, because it's not that the way we normally interpret it. These people are not hot for God, and they're not cold for God. Instead, they're just kind of in the middle. That's the way we want to interpret it. That's not true. That's not what he's saying. But instead, he's letting them know that you have in your mind and your spirit the fact that I need nothing. What does it mean when you say I need nothing? You you are self-sufficient, right? I've got a job. I make my own money. I can pay my own bills. Um, I can live my life. I can do what I want to do. You may not. Do you think these people were literally coming out and saying, God, I, remember, He's writing to a church, right? So these are people that are coming to church. So, what is it about their life that makes them say, I need nothing? What do you think? So they're coming to church, they're they're listening to the preacher, they're probably singing their songs, right? But the way they live their life says, I don't need anything. God, I don't need you. I um, I don't need you to provide for me. I can take care of myself. I don't need you to do anything. That's important, all right. So let's keep going. Not realizing that you are actually... Now remember, what did they say they are? They're rich, self-sufficient. I'm rich. I've prospered. I need nothing. But you don't realize that you're actually wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you. Here's the solution. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire. See, they say they're rich, right? They think they're rich. But what they don't know is they're actually poor. And now Jesus comes in and says, if you really want to be rich, buy your gold from me. All right. And then this gold is refined by fire. That's important too to understand what it is that they need done in their lives. All right. The next thing, so that you may be rich. And buy from me white garments, so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes, so that you may see, Churches, plural. So immediate context, this is to Laodicea and that church, correct? But in the wider context, who is it to? You and I as well. Let Him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Alright, just a little background before I start showing you some context here. Go with, hold your space here. Go with me to Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4 verse 12 and 13. Now I want you to understand that there are three main churches in this area. And all three of them are within 5 to 10 miles of each other. So literally they're not I mean you can you can stand in one place and probably see the other city from where they're at. They're that close. All right? And here are the three churches that we have here. Colossians chapter 4, verse 12 and 13. Paul is writing to the city of Colossa to the church in Colossa. He says in verse 12, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers. Now he's one of them and who's he writing to? Colossae, right? And so that means he's a Colossian, right? All right. Now he's, he's struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Hierapolis. So here's the three churches. You have a church in Colossae, all right? Then you have a church over here, five to ten miles away, called Hierapolis, in the city of Hierapolis. And then on the other side, you have a place called Laodicea. Actually, I believe it's Colossa over here, Hierapolis over here, and Laodicea is in the middle. All right? And they're all five to ten miles apart, kind of in a triangle, I guess you could say. Alright, now go with me to Colossians chapter 2, verse 1. Because if you notice there, Epaphras has been laboring at all three churches, right? So Epaphras is kind of like a, a circuit preacher, I guess you could say. He is the one that in the book of Acts chapter 19, when Paul was in Ephesus, he hears the gospel from Paul, he goes back to Colossa, and he starts a church there, and then... I want to say that likely because of Colossians 14 or chapter 4 that we just read, that he probably had something to do with the start of these other churches. Now we don't know for certain, but we do know from that verse that he was laboring hard that they would be mature in all the will of God, right? Now in Colossians chapter 2 verse 1, we're going to see what part of the struggle was that they were dealing with, all right? Now the reason this is important is because if Colossia was dealing with this struggle, guess what we're going to find out about Laodicea? Probably the same struggle all the way around, alright? So in, Ch- in Colossians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, he says, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you, Colossa, and for those at where? Laodicea. And for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. So he wants them to grow in Christ, right? And he has a struggle for these two churches because... They're not growing in Christ the way that He would like for them to see. Let me show you another scripture. Look at Colossians chapter 2, verse 6. And we're going to go through verse 9. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught abounding in thanksgiving, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. For in Him the whole fullness of deity dwells. Now here's what you need to understand. Without me reading the rest of the chapter, I'll sum it up for you. They were no longer practicing what they had first heard in the gospel. They were no longer being rooted and established and built up in Christ Jesus Himself. But instead, they were beginning to fall into human traditions and they were beginning to go back to some religious living. So that instead of just trusting in Christ for their salvation, they were believing we got to do this and this and this. And they were falling into things like angel worship. There are still tokens found over in these cities today. Archaeologists still find tokens that have prayers on them to Michael the archangel, to Gabriel the archangel. And so they fell into praying to angels. They fell into worshiping angels. And you could see that if you want to, if you want to make sure that I'm not leading you astray. I want you to look at... Um, Verse Colossians chapter 2, verse um, 18. Let no one disqualify you. insisting on asceticism, or asceticism was severe self-discipline. Here's what they were teaching. If you sin, then what do you need to do? Punish yourself in some way. Same thing the Catholic Church got into there for a while before the Reformation. Indulgences. You know, you, here's what you have to do in order to earn your forgiveness. And Paul comes on the scene here and he tells Colossae, he says, don't let nobody disqualify you by thinking the way you get forgiveness is through punishment, punishing yourself in some way after you've sinned. And not only that, but disqualify you by what's next. And the worship of angels. Going on in detail about visions. People were saying, I had this vision, I had that vision. Kind of like Joseph Smith and The Mormons when he said that an angel from heaven came down from him and gave him golden tablets that had the Book of Mormon on it. Going on about visions. Puffed up without reason by his sensuous minds. And notice in verse 19, "...and not holding fast to the head." from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. So there again, very quickly, here's what you've got. You've got a church that instead of holding on to the gospel, that through faith in Christ and faith alone, holding fast to Jesus and His finished work on the cross. What does it mean when I say finished work? What does finished mean? It's done, alright? He has finished work on the cross. And instead of holding fast to that, they were being led back into religious things of, we got to do this, and we got to do this, and we got to do this, and if we don't do this, then we're not right with God. And Paul says, you're actually disqualifying yourself, alright? And so that's what some of them were falling back into. All right, now go back with me to Revelations chapter 3 again, and I want you to look at chapter 3 verse 14. This is what Laodicea is dealing with, okay? They have people coming in and teaching them, saying, I've had this vision, I've had that vision, and, and um, um, angel, the angel Gabriel came to me, and the angel Michael came to me, and we can pray to him, and he will help us, and... And, and we need to follow this rule, and if you sin, just punish yourself and you'll get forgiveness. Just all kind of things that have nothing to do with the gospel, what they first heard. And so Jesus comes on the scene and here's what He says to this church in verse 14. To the angel of the church in Laodicea, write this, These are the words of the Amen. What does Amen mean? Amen means, and the reason, and and Francis is right, to us it means when I say something and you say amen, you're saying, I agree with that. Yes, that is true. This comes from the same word, do you remember when Jesus would talk to crowds and He would say, truly, truly, I say to you. Or He would say, verily, verily, I say to you. The reason why He would come on and He would say that twice is because it's the same word that we translate today as Amen. We translate it truly, truly. What they would have understood it when they heard it was that Jesus was saying to them, this, what I'm fixing to tell you, is absolute, undisputable truth. You have heard that it was said, but I say to you, and that's the way He would start it off. Truly, truly, or verily, verily, and really you could read it like this. Amen, amen. So while we come in at the end of what somebody has said and go, amen, Jesus didn't come on at the end. Jesus came on at the beginning and said, amen, amen. And what that meant was, what I'm fixing to tell you is absolute indisputable truth. No one can dispute it. It cannot be argued. What I'm fixing to say to you is absolutely truth. I don't care what everybody else has come and said. I don't care what kind of visions you've had. I don't even care what Michael the archangel or Gabriel the archangel came down and told you. What I'm fixing to tell you is the words of the Amen. You can't dispute it. It's absolute truth. And there's a reason why He introduces Himself the way that He does to every church because this is what they needed to hear. They understood when Jesus came on and said, these are the words of the Amen. They went, this is the one that is absolute truth that you cannot argue with, that it is indisputable, and these are His words. And then it says next, these are the words of the faithful and the true witness. And so in that situation, you get into the, um, the one that is, um, has been absolutely faithful in, every, in everything that he has done to come and live out this righteous life as a human being. He is a faithful and he is a true... And what does a witness do? A witness is somebody that testifies to something that they know, right? So everything he says is a faithful and a true witness. There's nothing He says about this church here that any one of them will be able to look back and go, "Uh uh-uh, that's not us. He says, what I'm fixing to say to you, these are the words of the faithful and the true witness. And, And how can Jesus say that He's a faithful and true witness of this church and what they're doing? According to Revelation chapter 1. Anybody remember, where is Jesus He's walking among them, right? He's walking among them, alright? So, He's the faithful and true witness. And then also, He says, He is the beginning of God's creation. Now, this is, can be translated several ways, but one of the ways that people would typically translate it is, He is that from which all creation begins. It doesn't mean that Jesus is a creation of God. Go back and read. And, and, and he has to deal with this, because again, go back to Colossians with me. Hold your place here. Because this is what their one of their struggles. They, one of their struggles is they're, they're dealing with who Jesus is, his deity. They don't believe the fullness of God rests in him, that he is God in the flesh. Alright? So in Colossians chapter 1, look at verse um, 17 or 18, or actually, yeah, start in verse 17. Or start in verse 15. And you'll see what Colossa and Laodicea was dealing with. Of chapter 1. He is the image of the invisible God, He is the firstborn of all creation. Now, there again, He's the only begotten Son of God, right? What does only begotten mean? He's the only... Adam was made from the dirt. He was not begotten. He was created. Jesus, on the other hand, literally was the seed of God in woman and He was the only begotten Son of God. He is God in the flesh, the firstborn of all creation. And then in verse 16, For by Him all things were what? So there again, they're not saying that Jesus is part of God's creation. They're telling him he is the one that we, from which all creation begins. All right, and then keep going. Whether in heaven or on earth, whether visible or invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, and there he's using the same language he did in Ephesians chapter six when he dealt with spiritual forces. Right. So here He's talking about He is before angels, He's before authorities, He's before dominions, rulers. All things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent or have supreme reign. There is no, there's none that has more authority than him. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And so there again, here's what they're dealing with. They are denying the deity of Christ. So when you look at Jehovah's Witness today and you say, Ah, yeah, but they really have similar beliefs. And on the surface, you may be right in some ways. But one of the key issues is they deny the deity of Jesus Christ. Same way with Mormons. And that's just one of many issues, okay? But it's a major issue. And the deity of Jesus Christ cannot be disputed. He is God in the flesh. He is not God's creation. But He comes on the scene here and Jesus says to them, I am that from which all creation begins. Just to back that up again, go with me to John, the Gospel of John, chapter 1. And then we'll move on after this. This is John's introduction of Jesus and His ministry. And in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 1, notice how John introduces Him very plainly. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. So who is the Creator of all things? Jesus Christ. Verse 4, In Him was life, and the life was the light of men, the light shines in darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. Skip down with me to verse um, verse 10. He was in the world and yet the world was made through Him. And so there again, I'm beating the dead horse to death. Here's the point. Jesus is not a creation of God. Jesus is God who has now come to be part of His creation. He is God in the flesh. And this is what Colossae, Laodicea, and Hierapolis is dealing with. And so He comes on the scene. He says, these are the words of the Amen, indisputable, undeniable, absolute truth. This is the faithful and the true witness that can testify faithfully and truthfully to what I'm saying here. And this is the beginning of God's creation, or again, the translation that I prefer is that from which creation begins. It all has its beginning from Him. And then in verse 15, notice what he says next. I know your works... He's a faithful and true witness. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Here's the context that you need to understand tonight and I'm going to prove it to you with good old-fashioned Google. Alright? Hierapolis was known and is still known today for their hot springs. Their water source was hot springs. Let me show you a picture of it because you can go there today. It's known as modern day um, pomacale or something like that. But let me get to the images here. This is just one image of that place. One of the most beautiful places in this world that I've ever seen. And you can go there today and you could actually um, see the hot springs. Let me pull up the hot springs of Hierapolis. Here's a bigger picture of it right here. But I mean, it's gorgeous. I just can't, can't fathom seeing this in person. But this is what Hierapolis is known for. They are known for their hot springs. And people in this time came there because their waters were known to bring healing. They were mineral waters. You can see all the minerals. It looks like snow, don't it? It's not. It's minerals and it's actually salt and other minerals in that. But it was known for the healing power that was in this water. And when people were sick, they came and they bathed in this place. And everybody came to this place for the hot waters of Hierapolis. Now on the other side of the world, we had a place called um, uh, Colossian, Colossa. I'm not sure if I'm saying that right or not, but y'all know where I'm talking about. Colossa was known for its cold springs. It had very cold water. Now Laodicea is down here in the middle, and let me show you just a little bit about Laodicea. Because you can go over there and see this today too. Here's what you need to understand about Laodicea. How did they have to get their water? This is Laodicea. They piped their water in from Colossae. They wanted the cold water of Colossae, and they piped it in. Okay. And so by the time water traveled, as cold as it was, by the time it traveled in a hot environment, all the way 5 to 10 miles from Colossae, was that water cold anymore? What was it? And Laodicea knew very well what it was like to have to deal with lukewarm waters. As a matter of fact, everybody in this place probably talked about their water source. They looked over here at Hierapolis and guess what they saw? Man, look at the the healing waters over here, the waters that that bring life. And then look over here in Colossae and and the cold waters that are refreshing. And when you are thirsty and need a drink, it just refreshes and it's life-giving. But then you get to Laodicea and you need a drink of water. What do you get? And what do you normally want to do with that lukewarm water? So this is where context comes in. Here's what Jesus is saying. He's not telling this church that you're not on fire enough for me. And He's not telling them that I wish you just didn't have no fire at all. But instead, here's what He's saying. Your faith is as useless as your lukewarm water. At least if you had water that was hot like like Hierapolis, it would be worth something. It ain't cold, but guess what? It has great value. It's worth something. Or if you had the cold water like Colossae has, it ain't hot like Heropolis, but it's valuable and it's worth something. But by the time either one of those waters get to this point right here, if you pipe it in from Heropolis, is it still hot when it gets to Laodicea? If you pipe it in from Colossae, is it still cold when it gets to Laodicea? And so by the time it gets there, that water is almost useless. The only thing it's good for is bathing and and washing and things like that. And so here's what Jesus comes in and says, I wish that you had faith that was at least of some use, but instead your faith is of no use whatsoever. And that's a harsh word. But notice, I can prove it. Notice what he says next in verse 17. What's that first word of verse 17? For or therefore or wherefore or there are several ways to to translate it, but the point of it is the first word says, here's the reason why I wish your faith was worth something, but it's not. Here's why. Because you say, I'm rich. You say, I have prospered. You say, I have... Need of nothing. Not realizing that you are actually wretched. You are actually pitiable. You are poor. You are blind. And you are naked. That's important. Poor, blind, naked. Because here in a minute, He's going to counsel them to buy gold, which if you have gold, you're not poor. You're what? And... He's going to counsel them to buy white garments because if you don't have garments on, you're what? But if you get garments, guess what? You're no longer naked, so poor and naked have been took care of. And then finally, buy eye salve from me. Ointment for your eyes because if you get ointment for your eyes, guess what happens? You're not blind anymore. All right, so again, all this has to do with context. So notice he says right here, here is the problem with you. <clears throat> you live your life in such a way that you say, I've got everything I need. I, um, I'm rich. I, um, I'm prosperous. I don't need anything. My question is, how could you and I today live our lives in such a way that even though we don't vocally come out and say... I don't need anything. How can we be a church, come to church, sit down, sing together, preach together, or or listen to preaching together, study the Word of God together? How can we be a church that Jesus is writing to, and yet we are living a life in such a way that we say, I don't need anything. How could you do that? Come on, y'all talk to me. What would a life like that look like? <laughs> okay <laughs> so what I mean honestly though, give me some details you you just keep it to yourself and nobody Okay all right, anybody else okay and wh- what would a life like that look like? What would you do throughout the week that would say, God I don't need you?
1: Not pray no, not, not have any conversation. We, okay. we go about Just daily lives and not thanking him for
0: anything. Not. not realizing that's where we get it from. No prayer. We wouldn't need the church at all. Uh huh. And
1: how often do we live that away yeah. Pretty regularly. We're guilty. These are the these are the pretenders. They pretend like they're they're Christians. But then it's only probably as a group together, and then when they when they go out in the world, it's you can't tell them apart from anybody
0: else. That's right. That's right. This is this is kind of um, a this is kind of an important lesson that I want to make sure that we don't just go through too quickly, because I'll just be honest with you, I feel like that Laodicea is the Church of America today. It is the Church of America Day. And it has been me many times in my life. And so I want to make sure that I pay attention here because I don't, I would never think to myself that I'm actually saying to God, I don't need you. But the truth of the matter is, my actions actions say, God, I'm good without you. And how many Christians do we know that live that way? I'm a Christian. I I, I follow Jesus, and yet my life every day says, I don't acknowledge you, I don't need you. I get up in the morning and I start my day. I don't recognize that my very next breath comes from you. I lay my head down at night and I never give you thanks for another day. I never give you thanks for the strength that you gave me to get up and go to work. Because how many people don't have strength to work? I mean, people don't have breath to be able to do the things they need to be able to do. And so, to be able to recognize that everything I am, I get it from Him. And if He, for one second, decides that He don't want to supply your next breath, what happens? That's simple. That's why I'm so thankful for trials, that God keeps trials in my life. Because it keeps my, my mind focused on Him. Yeah. When things start to go, you think, going good
1: that
0: God has to throw you a curveball and say hey that's right that's right well because we are so that's the nature of our sin this the nature of our sin says God I don't need you that's exactly what Adam and Eve did in the garden y'all have heard me say it a million times when they ate that fruit the knowledge of good and evil they said God we don't need you to tell us what to do anymore we can live our own lives and how many of us go right back to that so many times over and over again?
1: And you, know, you know, here too, it, it's a, I think it's important to, to ask the questions here. They say they're rich. They say they prosper. They say they need nothing. It's, it's where you have your hope and your faith. Because all those things that they say they have, if they were stripped away, then what would you have then?
0: Right. You would lose all hope. That's Right. That's right. You're rich. You're prosperous. you got everything you need. All gone, what are you that's right. Yeah. So. I acknowledge that I, have, I do have everything that I physically need mm-hmm. to live in this world. And right. And more. So, Th- that's one of the curses of being born in this United States of America. As good as it is, and as thankful as I am that, that, that we have what we have, one of the curses is we are very tempted to just not acknowledge our need for God. But yet, go to a third world country. Go to the village in Guatemala to where we minister to so many times. To the people that, to the young lady that, um, well, Chassie's not here. Kenetha, you may have been up there with her too. Frankie's mom that was... that that had one bowl of molded bread, molded tortillas. And she had, I can't, do you remember how many kids she had? It was a bunch of kids she had to feed. And And it was the beginning of winter. All she had was a bowl of molded tortillas and she was trying to proportion them out as much as she could just to try to provide as many meals as she could for her children. What do you think she's doing every night? You know why? Because she knows she needs God. If God don't do something, what is she going to do? She's going to watch her and her kids starve to death.
1: You know, you you see the churches over third world countries hiding to have church, running for their lives, and to have church. Their life is on the line. And you wonder, I don't wish anything bad, but you wonder, I think we're getting closer. What would the United States look like if that were the case?
0: Right. Would the churches be filled like they are now, or would there be few that just hide together? Right. And, and that's. I honestly
1: can't help but think that's, that's a way of, that God cleanses some of that out.
0: Yeah. The, the well, we see that in the Bible. We see that in the book of Acts, that that's what he did in, in Jerusalem when he persecuted them and they spread out and they, yeah. So so we think that we are rich, we think that we're prosperous, and in worldly things we may be. But the truth of the matter is, we don't realize, in verse 17, you do not realize that you are actually wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. So here's the solution in verse 18. I counsel you. What does it mean to counsel I'm advising you to do something here, church. I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire. Now here's one thing you need to understand something. This place was known for their riches. Laodicea was a very rich town. Uh, One reason is that they were a a big banking town. They they were people just like you have banks that you go to. Well, Laodicea was a place where people went to to stash their money. It was a big banking town. It was a town that was rich in gold. They had a lot of gold. And so one, one thing, um, the, there was a, a Roman historian called Tac- Tacticus, I believe is how you pronounce his name. But he recorded in Roman history that in 60 A.D., a great earthquake hit this place and it leveled this city. Rome offered money to all these cities to rebuild back. This city, Laodicea, is the only city that said, we don't need your money, we can build back on our own. Now how many of us in here today, if if lightning hits your house and burns it to the ground, are you just going to be able to build back without any help, no insurance, no funding, nothing whatsoever? And yet, we've got it pretty good, right? This was a city that an earthquake levels the place, and Rome says, hey, you need some money to rebuild? And they step up and go, no, we don't need your money, but thank you. Because we're rich. We have gold. And Jesus comes in and says, let me give you some counsel. Quit putting all your focus on what you have. Come buy your gold from me. And notice what it is about this gold. This gold is what in verse 18? What does it mean to be refined by fire? That's right. Why don't you come to me so that I can refine and and give you gold that's been refined by fire and you will really be rich because of the gold that I give you because you're going to be a new creation. You're going to be a different person. You're going to be a Christian. all right So come buy gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and... White garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. Here's another thing that you need to understand about this place. Laodicea was also known for their rich black wool. This is another reason why they were rich. People came here from all over just like Thyatira was known for its royal purple. Well, Laodicea was known for its rich black wool. And so they were well clothed and yet they didn't know that they were actually naked. And Jesus says to them, you need to come see me for your clothing. You think you're well clothed and you don't even realize that you're naked. Come see me and I will give you white garments. White garments. So that... And here's what these garments are going to do for you. These garments... Let me get back to it. In verse... um, Where am I at? 18. So that you can clothe yourself and... The shame of your nakedness may not be seen. So these clothes that I have to give you are going to cover up your nakedness. This clothes that I'm going to give you are going to take away your shame of the nakedness that you had. And then lastly, another thing that you, that, that you need to know about Laodicea is that they were known for their eye ointment that healed eye diseases. So that was some of the main things that this city was known about. So when Jesus comes on the scene and He tells them, you need to buy gold for me, it's because they think they're rich and they don't need anything from Him. They They have gold. That's right. Jesus said, no, you need the gold that I have. Then you'll be rich. And then He comes to them and He says, you think you're clothed well and you don't realize that you're actually naked. You need the white garments that I can give you. You need to come see me for these things. And then your nakedness will be covered. Your shame will be removed. And then finally, you think that you can see, but you don't know that you're actually blind. And so come to me and I will give you eye ointment. Here's all that Jesus is doing. Jesus is using context in their own lives to say to them, guys, I have everything you need. You think you have everything you need and you don't have anything. I have everything you need. Come to me, trust in me, hold fast to me, and you will have everything you need. Because right now, the faith that you have is what is worth what? Nothing. Nothing. It ain't hot like it is over here. It ain't cold like it is over here. So again, context is king when you're studying the Scriptures. He's not telling you, I wish you were more on fire for Jesus and I wish that you'd raise your hands more in the worship service and I wish that you'd run a few pews and run a few aisles and if you do that, then you'd be on fire and hot like like Heropolis. And how many preachers come and that's the way they preach it? But that's not what he's saying. He's saying, I wish that you had faith that was at least of some use like it is over here. Or faith that is of some use like it is over here. But instead, the kind of faith that you have, by the time it reaches me, what do I want to do? I want to vomit you out of my mouth. And here's why. Because you're self-sufficient. Because you don't realize how much you need what I have to offer. So come buy this stuff from me. And then notice what happens. Is this also
1: the first the only church in this series that he does not commend them on something before he tears into them?
0: I think there's one other church that had no commendation, wasn't it?
1: Yep, yeah, it's uh oh, uh
0: Thyatira. Yeah. Yeah, he had no commendation whatsoever for um well no, no he did. He did in Thyatira.
1: Not to begin with, he didn't.
0: Yeah, he did, he did. No, I think, I think it's uh, Sardis. Sardis, Sardis. yeah, in chapter 3, the beginning of chapter 3. Yeah, he had nothing good to say about them, except in verse 4, they had a few names, people who had not sold their garments. But that was it. That was the only good thing he had to say about that church. But this church, he has absolutely nothing good to say about them, but he counsels them to buy what they need and not be self-sufficient. And again, in our context today, he would look at us and he would say, you think you're rich because you have a job that you can go to every day. You got cars, you got, you got houses that you live in, you got your family that you put everything into, and, and you're all about those things. But I say to you, come get your family from me. Then you'll be rich. Come get, come get your shelter from me. Then you'll be protected. Come get your whatever the case may be. You know? So again, I believe it still applies to us very much today. And we would, do, we would be very wise to pay attention, I believe. Alright, keep going with me in verse 19. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Jesus loves this worthless church, don't He? Now I love that. That's important. Jesus loves this worthless church. And then notice what He says in verse 20. Because a lot of people interpret this to be an evangelistic message. And they take this out to the world and they go, Jesus is standing at your door and knocking. And that may be true, but here's what you read in verse 20. Behold... I stand at the door and knock. How is He standing at the door and knocking at this church? What's He doing? He's preaching to them, ain't He? He has brought His words, the words of the Amen, the words of the faithful and true witness, the words of the beginning of all of God's creation. He brings them His Word. And every time you hear the Word of God, Guess what Jesus is doing to you? He stands at the door and He knocks. He loves, he loves you. And if He loves you, He reproves you and He disciplines you. And so this is discipline to this church. It's hard, ain't it? I mean, how many of you want to hear Jesus look at you today and say, You make me sick. Kevin Wells, you make me sick. Wouldn't that be a great thing to hear from Jesus? And yet he, this church hears this and he says, Guys, I love you. I love you. And the reason I say this to you is because I love you. And if I love you, I reprove you. And if I love you, I discipline you. And I stand at your door and I'm knocking. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door... I love that. If he hears my voice, that's how he's knocking, with his voice. And if you hear his voice and open the door, now that's important because you have a responsibility here, don't you? God is absolutely sovereign, but you have a responsibility to open the door. And how many of us sit time after time hearing Jesus knock and never open the door? And he says, if you will hear my voice and open the door, what, will he, what does he promise? What's the promise of Jesus right here? I'll come in and I'll eat. I will come in and I will eat with you and he with me. Communion with him. Fellowship with him. Relationship with him. And then verse 21. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my Father on His throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So somebody give me an interpretation of this tonight. Based on everything you've heard tonight, interpret this um, letter to the church. You can't run the aisles, you ain't on fire. Nick failed. All right, Who's up? What's next? Somebody interpret it for me. What's Jesus saying to the churches?
1: Good, fresh, cold
0: glass
1: of water. (laughs) Uh-huh. On a hot day.
0: Uh Uh-huh. Anybody else?
1: Don't caught up in believing that you provide anything for yourself.
0: That's exactly right.
1: Remember that it all comes from God.
0: Life, breath, being, everything comes from Him. That's the reason why even though there's really no command in the Bible that says, Thou shalt pray before every meal. (laughs) I still think it's such a great idea because it's a reminder that just simply says, God, I know, I know that the only reason I even have this meal is because of Your grace in my life. You wake up in the morning. God, I know the only reason I was able to open my eyes is because of Your grace. The only reason I take my next breath... It's because of your mercy, because you should have killed me in my sleep last night, right? But he's good, and I need him, and I need him for everything, especially my salvation. All right. Anybody got any comments? Any questions? I never heard it preached that way before. Well, that's what I was talking about context. And I know we beat that so much, and we, I hope we don't ever sound like we're trying to be professors or anything in here, but you see how important it is, Perhaps right? We need professors. Yeah, I mean, it is... We're teaching. We need reminding. It is important, and so just to sit back. And, you know, one of the things that you can do in that is whenever you go to word searches, you go to places like Bible Hub or places that I've showed you before, and in the search bar up there, type in Laodicea. And it'll bring up every verse in the Bible that mentions Laodicea. It takes you back to Colossians. You start putting the pieces together. And so you study, and the more study you do, the study Bibles. A lot of times in the introduction of your study Bibles of each book, it may give you... It may give you um, um, it, a lot of times your study Bible does the work for you. Right. Yeah. A lot of the work for you. Sometimes it does. That's right. And so it lays out a lot of this stuff for you. Maybe not everything, but, um, but it lays out some of it.
1: I think it's, uh, it's, it's so awesome to see how when Jesus addresses these churches, He doesn't just, he doesn't just give them a vague statement, but His introduction, which kind of lines up with the way that He presented Himself to John in the beginning of Revelations, it, it has a purpose for that church. That's right. And then with this church, you know, like you said, they were caught up in in all these different beliefs. And he's saying, I I am the only true thing. That's right. And for him to go into detail with what they were known for making and showing them each little thing when you think you have it all, like you're physically rich, but you're spiritually bankrupt.
0: That's right. Yep. I love it because I feel like that when you study it this way, we can walk away from here going that makes sense that that is i mean it's so clear and i believe that if we spent more time doing that together you'd have a lot less division in in the ways that we interpret scriptures now we're still going to have divisions but i believe you would have a lot less if if people understood um how to rightly divide it yeah i'd always heard like the way it was preached before and I always wondered, why would God want me to be cold? Right. Right. never yeah. sense. Yeah, that's right. Because in this context, hot is good and cold is good. Yeah. But lukewarm is no good. That's right. It's neat looking through history. to find stuff
1: that validates.
0: That's right. Especially when archaeology lays it out and it's still sitting there. You know, I mean, you, how, do you, how do you argue with that? I mean, you go over there and see it today. All right. Well, thank you all so much for your time and your attention. Um, Who would like to, to pray tonight based on what we've heard from God? Respond back to him in prayer based on what he said tonight.